0: I'm Phaedra Polychronus. And I'm Sarah Goldblatt. And this is the second episode of Low Point, the podcast about hitting rock bottom and what comes next.
1: I'm going to die. This is, this is how it ends. I had nothing. Then I, I got even worse. I felt more and more isolated from everyone around me, and I'm kind of getting sadder and sadder about it.
0: That sort of sent me into a tailspin. Everyone has a dark chapter. Today, we're going to talk to Graham Moore, an Oscar-winning screenwriter. Graham is going to talk about alienation and feeling out of touch with reality and the role these feelings have played in the stories he writes. Graham, thanks for coming in. Maybe we could start with sort of getting a sense of how you, in your writing, how you use the concept, the low point in developing your characters' sort of arcs. What role does the low point play?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I mean, I think, uh, you know, there's an old rule of thumb in narratives that like, things should either start with someone having either the worst possible thing happening to them or the best. Um, And uh, you know, an old friend of mine used used to joke that everything I ever write is about, it's about this obsessive person who wants one thing. They want that one thing so badly and they're willing to sacrifice everything in their life to get it. And then as the narrative unfolds, they do sacrifice everything in their life to get it. They get it. And it's the worst thing that ever happened to them. Um, and that is, it, it's a little bit scary that if you look back uh, at everything I've written, that is kind of the narrative arc that occurs. Um, the friend who told me this was a therapist. That's really <laughs> the terrifying. Close friend.
0: Yes, uh, it's terrifying
1: <laughs> to have therapy. Now, not my therapist. She was, she was oh, a okay. friend who okay. also was a therapist. Um, but uh, yes, it's terrifying to have therapist friends because they can like read your work and be like, what are you, what's, what's going on with you here? That right. this is the thing you've chosen to write about. Um, But no, I think, you know, what I've been interested in is characters who. I I love obsessives. I love people who are, like, really focused on one thing. I think because, you know, my OCD makes it such that I only really understand other obsessives. Like, if you're not obsessed with something, I don't know how to relate to you. Uh, So. And then I'm really interested in what happens when people who are really focused on one thing, either get that thing or don't. Um, you know, Imitation Game was about this guy who wants he wants to solve the hardest puzzle in the world. He's this awkward, sometimes difficult guy who just wants to he wants to he wants to break the Enigma code. He wants to solve this one puzzle because it's the hardest puzzle in the world, and he thinks that if he does it, it will like make him complete. And then he does, and. It doesn't. And I think that's, um, you know, Last Days of Night, my new book is about, it's about a lawyer trying to win a case, like the simplest kind of narrative in the world, right? Like young lawyer trying to win this big case um, and he's ambitious and he's hungry. um, And, you know, about halfway through the novel, he loses. And then it's like, okay, now, now what do we do? Um, and I think that that question of, okay, now what do we do, the thing that we thought would be the worst thing imaginable has occurred, so what happens tomorrow is kind of a, a hallmark of stuff that I've worked on and things that I've been really interested in because I think that's always, it's the question in all of our lives. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'm a pessimist or not, but I'm definitely a, like, um, I imagine the worst case scenario in any given situation. and always sort of visualize like okay that is the worst possible thing that can occur here let's see what happens if it does and hopefully we can avoid it.
0: So that's your way of of coping with sort of major events is the, the immediate reflex is to just visualize the worst case scenario and really wrap your head around that?
1: Yeah like I feel like I'm that way in everything in my life like if I'm in if I'm in a relationship like I always imagine like okay what's the worst thing that can happen here oh this like this woman decides she doesn't love me anymore and leaves like, I imagine, okay, am I am I going to be okay with that? Like, will I be able to, you know, put my pants on the next morning and, like, go to work and do my job? And it, I always sort of have to tell myself, yes, like, that is the probably the worst ending to the situation, unless, like, someone dies. I mean, I guess you can, con- I guess one can construct ever more fanciful, terrible things that could happen. And believe me, I spend a lot of time doing that, too. Because um, I'm a writer, so it's, like, part of my job. Sure. But I think, yeah, and I do that professionally, like, with, um you know, I'm working on a movie now, and so it's like, what happens? What's the worst thing that can happen here? Our movie will fall apart, and that'll suck. And, you know, uh, but it'll be okay. Like, I'll go work on something else. And and we went through that with Imitation Game. Like, it fell apart once, and then came back together, and that's sort of a part of the process. So kind of visualizing worst-case scenarios and making myself vaguely comfortable with them ahead of time so that I'm then pleasantly surprised when they don't occur. Or uh, relatively calm when they do seems to be like a technique I've learned.
0: I feel like I do that. Do, do you? I think, yeah. I mean, that's a technique you acquire because of your low points, right? I mean, yeah. yeah because because you
1: have survived them. Because you said, like, okay, yeah. that was really bad. If I made it through that, this is totally bearable.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. I also know, I don't know if it's just being in L.A. for so long, but I'm now trying to rewire my brain a little bit in the direction of, like, not devoting so much of my energy to concocting these worst-case scenarios as a, like, defense mechanism, but rather trying to take that same energy and really just focus on a, a set of positive outcomes. Yeah. Is that just L.A., like... No, I Can think that's what I I think avocado it, toast. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's a really that sounds like a really healthy attitude. Um, trying to to have about it. It's it's like um, uh, you know, it's like are you I think I'm superstitious. Like I'm superstitious in the sense of like I don't like ima- I don't do I don't like doing the inverse and imagining the best possible case scenario because I feel like if I imagine it, I'm sure it won't happen. Like, I've noticed I'm really bad at predicting the future. Like anything <laughs> I, any prediction I make invariably never comes true. Maybe that's why I sort of like imagine the worst possible case, because it's like, well, if I can imagine it in that detail, it's right. not going to be like that. But then I won't let myself imagine best case scenarios. Um, but then I know people who are into like the visualizing the things that they want. Well, and yeah. I, yeah, no, I'm too, too superstitious for that. Can't do it.
0: So when something, un- when the best case scenario actually happens, like the I don't know like you, you won an Academy Award. Mm-hmm. How was your? How did you intellectualize that? How did you frame that? You obviously didn't at all think it was going to happen. You had probably been convincing you yourself. Prati- yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, no! I was, no I was gonna s- gonna way happen. in hell you were going to win an Oscar. I
1: was super convinced it wasn't going to happen, um, and it was a little bit scary because people in my life, friends, or even my the people I worked on the movie. Um, you know, kept saying like, oh my God, what if you win? This is going to be so cool. Like, we think maybe you're going to do this. I was like, please don't, like, please don't say that to me. Like, shut up. (laughs) Let's just, let's, um, let's just enjoy this for what it is. And I remember like that even that night, um, my, my mom came with me. She was my date. Mm -hmm. My brother and sister got to come too. And they were kind of sitting a bit behind us. And, you know, the, the four of us were walking in me, my mom, my brother, my sister, and, Um, they were, you know, my brother and sister are, like, taking a million photos of each other, like, sitting down and walking through the gates and walking (laughs) past the press, and they're, like, Instagramming the shit out of this whole thing. (laughs) Um, and even, like, my mother gets into it, and she's, like, taking photos, and I, and they were sort of, they did a pretty good job of, like, enjoying, um, the moment of it, and I kept, I remember I kept turning to them and saying, like, you know, this is great, like. The point is just that we're here, right? Like it doesn't matter if I win and I know you guys flew all the way to Chicago for this, but like I hope you don't feel like you like wasted a flight if if I if nothing happens and we don't win. And they were like, You're being insane. What do you talking know they're about?" Having time yeah, like this is carpet. awesome. There's free champagne everywhere. Like we can just drink champagne and take photos and this is so much fun. Um yeah, my sister got a new dress for the occasion. It was like they were just having a ball. Um so then I think when we won everyone was uh hopefully pleasantly surprised and I don't know and you were relieved <laughs> i was just sort of stunned i, I don't think it, it's not certainly in like the minutes afterwards or the seconds afterwards of like walking on a stage and taking that trophy is like such a just shocking full, yeah yeah full
0: autopilot you're so not i don't know yeah i've never been there
1: <laughs> no it's strange i well, I gotten some advice on like how to do it my uh my friend billy Uh, Billy Goldenberg, who's an editor, and he had edited our movie, and he's edited a bunch of my favorite movies um, uh, over the years. Uh, He had won an Oscar before um, for editing the movie Argo, and he gave me some advice about, like, we had this conversation a week before the awards, where he was like, so you know, there's a chance maybe next week you'll have to like get on a stage and get a trophy. And I just wanted to tell you, like, here's some tips for doing it. And I was like, Billy, don't, you're going to jinx this Billy, whole thing. Billy, I don't want like, your tips. Yeah, I don't want your tips. And he was like, no, I actually have some really like, he gave me these super practical advice. Uh, you know, there's no, what did he tell me? Um, there's
0: no crying in baseball. There's no crying. on that There's actually
1: a lot of crying on that stage. Uh, he told me, and this is true that you have, you have 45 seconds, uh, to do the speech but the 45 seconds don't start until you take your first step towards the microphone. So he huh. was like, if you win, go up, take the trophy from whoever's giving it to you, and if you need a moment to collect yourself, stop, collect yourself, and then take a step towards the microphone, and that's when your 45 seconds start. Nice. Which I totally did. Like, these are the practical Oscar-winning tips that not a lot of people tell you. So you collected in yourself? Yeah, I like. What does that. that
0: even mean in that moment, collecting yourself? Just,
1: like tell yourself don't freak out this you know you have to walk in front of this you have to walk up to this microphone and say something intelligible um so uh, do that and it's you know it's really bright and ignore helpfully actually it's really bright on the stage so you can't you can't see anyone you can't see anyone's face right. all you see is this huge red um LED screen with like a big 45 second Clock on it that just wow. starts counting down, and all you, all those people who you see them on stage, like I've over the years watched them on television, uh, who like seem to not realize that they're out of time or how much time you have. A it's lot.
0: Impossible. That is face. bullshit. Like there's no
1: the <laughs> only thing. It's like it's a five foot by five foot LED screen with a big red clock on it, <laughs> and, it's the, and there's like white lights everywhere. So it's the only thing you can see. Like I don't know how you could miss it. Right. Um but so yeah it's like try not to stare at the clock try not to imagine this thing running out yeah yeah yeah, but then it was like we did that and then you know we got to go to the vanity fair party and i danced with our actors and had an actual evening after that it felt like a celebration for all of us and i think that was nice that like because we'd all become very close on the movie and we all knew each other pretty well and we'd all worked very intimately together um it felt like this thing where like i happened to be the one holding the trophy but it was it felt like a collective victory and it was nice to have sort of one last night with all those guys to yeah. dance and sing and celebrate.
0: Should Fascinating we? well yeah should we go into mm-hmm. I mean when, the low when, point yeah when we when we talked to you yesterday you identified one specific low point that you were that you wanted to share with us I, if that's changed yeah. by the way feel free to reshuffle or whatever you'd like.
1: No not at all I appreciate it And it was funny when we were talking yesterday you were talking about how people you talk to always say, like, gosh, which low point to choose? Because there are so <laughs> uh, many. There's yeah. this wide variety. And I feel the same way. Like, there are so many different moments
0: yeah.
1: um, that you could choose. And so when I was thinking about this this week, I I wanted to talk about something that I, that I haven't talked about, you know, in front of a microphone before, um, which was this moment my freshman year of college. Um, uh, you know, I'm from... Chicago, born and raised, uh, good Midwestern stock. Um, But I went to, I went to college in New York at Columbia. I remember that first year getting there. Um, That first year in New York was, I think the loneliest year of my life. Um, I had a really hard time making friends at school. Um, You know, I was in a new city and for whatever reason, like the people I was kind of immediately around uh, in my dorm or in my classes at school were just not people I seemed to identify with. Um, I don't know. Everyone seemed like th- very like stuck up and pretentious in this like East Coast way that my like Chicago ness was like I don't know about these people. I, this doesn't. I don't relate to these people, and I felt very um, yeah. I felt really really lonely. And I remember sort of about halfway through my first year there. This this culminated in this one weekend where I was just I felt more and more isolated from everyone uh, from everyone around me and um, kind of getting sadder and sadder about it and so there was this three day period when I literally did not leave my single dorm room um, and uh, it was like this imposed isolation where I just like wasn't gonna leave the room for three days and somehow like I think accumulated enough food in, like, the little fridge that I had in there that I could, you know, not starve over three days, um, and I didn't talk to anyone, um, I didn't call anyone, um, I think I, like, read and listened to sad music, and, um, I don't even think I did any writing, um, but it felt like... Full wallow. Yeah, it was, like, fully just, like, wallowing alone in this room, and it almost became this thing of, like, God, how many days can I stay in here without talking to anyone before anyone notices? And it turns mm. out it's a couple. Like, there's really you can. <laughs> Two. Uh, I I think I got well into three before anyone really noticed, and I'm not sure they like noticed <laughs> in such a way that anyone was quickly alarmed. Um, <laughs> because it's
0: college, Because it's and co- everyone's copyright. depressed.
1: <laughs> Probably. Um. Although I think about this now, doesn't everyone do this? Like, I still think about like, I don't know if I like didn't wake up this morning because I had yeah. d- died in my sleep last night. Like, how many days would it take? before anyone noticed. like, So I was going to come here to see you guys. You guys mm-hmm. would have noticed, right? You would have called me.
0: Right. Yeah. And you
1: would have been like, oh, Graham, you're supposed to be here. Like, what's what's up? And right. if like a whole day went by and I just never showed up, you'd be a little alarmed. But you'd also probably send me a nice email saying like, oh. Thanks
0: for we, thanks for bailing.
1: Thanks for bailing. <laughs> Do, were, did we get confused about the day? Like, right. did you think I meant Friday? Or you'd send me something really nice, right? Like, you wouldn't be sure.
0: Jer- yeah. Best, Sarah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you think you'd be very Period. formal? <laughs> So a little passive-aggressive is what you're saying. You'd be, a if little. I just didn't I mean, show up. I truly cool. ears. You know, the uh-huh. studio's <laughs> set
0: up, we're here, we're ready. No, we I get it. jokes about the avocados ready. and.
1: I like to think that you both are empathetic people, and you you, you might worry that something happened to me. Yeah, you yes. You might worry absolutely. that... No, it would be freaking me. You it know, would be terrifying. You'd, you'd call other people who we know and be like, oh, did have you heard from Graham? Like, well, especially because you mentioned
0: the crutches, we would have probably built a Oh, yeah, because <laughs> I am. Yeah.
1: I am on crutches.
0: <laughs> You've um, into the reservoir.
1: Yeah, <laughs> um, to, to revitalize the soil.
0: Did you go out shopping for your three days of hermitage? <laughs> God, that
1: sounds so glamorous when a you little, put it like that. A
0: basket at Trader Joe's. I'm preparing for my hermitage. It's a her- hermitage is coming up.
1: Uh, yeah, between hermitage and basket, this whole thing sounds like <laughs> a weekend in the French countryside, which this Sign experience was we? not. We
0: could turn it into whatever now, we Now, that
1: mean. sounds lovely. Like you want to go to some, uh, like I don't know.
0: People pay for that shit.
1: Right. Uh, sadly, this 10 by 10 dorm room was not the kind of thing anyone pays to like be in for days at a time.
0: So by day three, you're like, I could,
1: I could just sort of do this forever. And like, it was like, oh, am I ever leaving? Like, how long is this going to go on? Um, and I think, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. I think I got a message from my friend, Chris, um, who was living in Syracuse and he, he's an old friend from high school. I don't know if, like, he wasn't expecting to see me because he lived in a different city, but somehow um, he was checking in on me or someone else hadn't seen me or something. Um, but I think he called and I actually picked up. Like, we got on the phone for a second and I was just like, hey, I haven't left my room in three days. And Chris was like, yeah, that's not okay. Let's <laughs> Let's talk about how we're going to get you out of here um and Chris was never the most uh kind of emotionally expressive or gushy of guys but he somehow managed to sort of calmly treat it like it was like yeah this is not a great thing that's happening right now let's just let's work our way out of here um so what do we do like where are you gonna go um and uh I remember finally leaving my room and starting to talk to people again and how how strange it was just to talk to people and to hear people's voices and to like make eye contact with people I didn't really know very well um, uh, and, it, and it was a little bit scary but I also think that that was a moment of coming out of that room um, I realized that I was responsible for the experience that I was going to have like when I walk out of that room I, I am responsible for making what I can of this place and finding people I want to talk to and having like I'm here I'm in New York and no one else is responsible for my own happiness like no one else is responsible for my own fulfillment I'm either gonna make something of this or I'm not Um, and for whatever reason that sense of personal responsibility is what motivated me to then make things better and to you know find to your friends who I still talk to every day and um come to really enjoy New York and I'm mean, I stayed in New York for 10 years. I came to really love the city and um, really love the people I was with and the stuff I was working on and that it took a little time it didn't happen like the next day um but I think um, you know realizing that the decision to like being miserable is a decision too Like you decide to allow yourself to be miserable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or you decide to exert some control over your own experience.
0: That's actively what you, I mean, when you tucked in for those three days in the, in the room, you had actively decided I'm going to be miserable. This is my state. And, and you were sort of testing how long you could extend it.
1: Yeah, I think that's perfectly described. I think that's because that was a choice. The decision to not leave the room was a choice. Like everything we do is a choice. Um, and that was not maybe a great choice. So was there something
0: that sparked, I mean, sparked your decision or is there like a train of thought you can remember that like made you decide this is the solution?
1: There was no like traumatic event. Like, right. There was no like, oh, some, something went badly or, you know, I failed some class or something like that. There was no like immediate proximate cause mm-hmm. i think it was more of a gradual feeling more and more isolated and more and more alone and more and more lonely and um just making some decision one day of okay i'm just going to give in to this loneliness and not leave my room um which is kind of a crazy decision but i but but i think that's always been the case in my life that like the the, the to- most of my low points have not been exactly located around actual bad news coming in hmm. um, and I don't know if everyone is like that I, I think that we we tend to associate low points with like with bad news with some external stimulus with someone like receiving some bit of bad news and then they get really sad and I can only speak for myself but I think that's not always like that's not always a chronology of it like, mm-hmm. there can be sort of an accumulating set of small bits of bad news that at mm-hmm. some point just boil over one day. Do
0: you see any, I mean, going, like, fully giving into the misery of that period, like, inevitably snapped you out of it? Even though you thought you were probably just going to be staying there for the rest of the semester, like, it, it, for, it like, um, how do you say? Pro- anyway, propelled you into yeah. drastically changing things. No,
1: and maybe it was helpful. Maybe it was sort of this uh, purge of uh, loneliness that then once I headed out, I could sort of accept, Yeah, like, I can only do good things from here. And I do think, you know, as the point of your podcast probably shows, like, low points are inevitable and necessary. Like, that's what sends people forward. Um, though I also think, you know, narratives are, are rocky. Um i think one thing that becomes tricky is we identify low points after the fact Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then while you're in them you might not you know i remember in those three days like i wasn't sure if that was rock bottom like how would i know i didn't know what was gonna happen the next day yeah and i didn't know how i was gonna feel the next day and um i I think about that actually in my work because like i you know write a lot about real people and sort of write narratives about the lives of of turn real people's lives into narratives. And, you know, 50 years later, you look at someone's life, or 100 years later, you look at someone's life, which is a lot of what I do all day, and it it becomes easier to identify, oh man, that's when he must have been real sad, because that was was a bad thing that happened then, or he must have been really happy that day, because he broke a code or won a case, or something like that, Um, but, you know, the person actually living through that didn't necessarily was not able to narrativize it as it was occurring.
0: So, how would you dictionary entry define a low point, noun?
1: Um. Uh, that is a great question. I think I would define it as um, a point at which uh, a certain a certain narrative of your, of your life has reached a moment of maximum failure where like there's no anything that had th- there's nothing there's nothing more to lose and there are only things to gain um and you know lives are complicated and we sort of paint our narratives in in different ways um you know but I think that's yeah, a low point is when whatever, whatever one was trying to preserve no longer has been. Whatever one what was trying to gain, it's uh, yeah. You find yourself in a moment of reevaluations. All right, that was a really long. I don't think a dictionary can have an answer that long. That was more like a Wikipedia style.
0: Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like links. Rumination there like links involved. On, a
0: meditative sort of Wikipedia. Piece. Yeah,
1: the Wikipedia piece on low point.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Graham. Yeah, thank thanks you guys, guys so much hiding. for this chat. Thank you, Graham. It was a lovely having you here. Uh, this is Phaedra Polychronis. I'm Sarah Goldblatt, and thank you to Timothy Nordwin for letting us use his studio and composing the beautiful jingle. And Derek our producer and editor. And to the reservoir, the people petitioning for the reservoir. Yes.